Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. We have watched episode four of The Abominable Snowmen. Yes. Have you noticed anything about The Abominable Snowmen? He asks so he can tell you. Oh. About The Abominable Snowmen themselves? They just look so big and cuddly. Kind, I, I just I just want to like just go and snuggle up to one and give me a bear hug, a Yeti hug. Yeah, that was. It's funny that you know, because because the Doctor Who on Twitch they aired mm-hmm. the Web of Fear earlier this week, which yes. you were around for. So, mm-hmm. is it weird to watch this mm-hmm. now, knowing what you know? With I mean, you'd seen the Web right. of Fear before anyway, but but I I didn't really remember it super well. So yeah, I definitely had my memory refreshed by seeing just just a few of the episodes. Um, when I got home from work on Doctor Who on Twitch. And yeah, so like now seeing Travers, I'm like, oh yeah, it's, you know, and Travers' dad, as opposed to just thinking of him as Travers and and as, you know, his daughter. Yeah. Sort of reversed itself in my in my memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I, the one thing I, that I know, I don't know, I don't think it's the only story, but it's one of the few stories that has no incidental music oh wow i'm that's not the kind of thing that i normally notice so yeah i think did you mention that like the first episode i don't know if i did maybe i did did i really i think you did in the first podcast episode or the the podcast we did about the first episode and you said that other than than some of the um the monk the monk monk sound effects you know sounds of monks singing in the background there there isn't any but but i i promptly forgot and forgot to pay attention to that and i forgot that i said it in the first place if i Mm -hmm. i can't even remember if i did you you, that sounds familiar to you now yeah because because otherwise how would i have known about the monks specifically sorry (laughs) listeners the look on his face he just looks so annoyed at himself i am a one-trick pony (laughs) But I like your trick, pony. Yeah, it's it's it. I, this is what I remember when I when I first watched it, or when I first blogged about it in two thousand nine. I remember thinking quite highly of this episode, and because of the fact there was no incidental music and how it really played into the isolation and sort of tranquility of of the monastery. Um, it's something. It's a story that I wish existed visually. Because sometimes it's tough to sort of understand what's happening when there's no music to tell you what's happening uh, either. When it's no, you know, moving pictures and stuff. I don't know if you're having problems or anything like that. Not that I'm having problems, but not problems. But I guess maybe maybe it does owe more to the, the music that uh, that in the moments like the the sequence, the scene where the Yeti is standing motionless outside of the TARDIS and then the Doctor and Jamie come up and like they, you know, do all the things of sneaking up to it and then the Doctor fiddles with the flap and, and all of that kind of stuff. We had Fraser Hines, you know, current day-ish Fraser Hines telling us what was happening. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there would be a period of a few seconds where it wasn't long enough for them to give him some more narration. But there was still enough time between the Doctor's and Jamie's lines where I just kind of found myself leaning forward and being like, "What? What's happening?" <laughs> Whereas maybe, maybe if there was music, I wouldn't have found myself kind of doing that because I don't remember feeling quite that same way in any of the other recons with the BBC narration. So, so yeah, I guess I I wouldn't have chalked it up to the lack of music, but now that I kind of put all of these pieces together, I think maybe that's maybe that's the reason. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think there's uh, another Hartnell in there that didn't have incidental music i think 
but I might be wrong about that. And then there's a couple other ones that just have like these weird radiophonic sort of like stings to it, mm-hmm. uh, like the Dominators, for instance, and I think the Wheel in Space too. Anyway, these are things I notice because this is what I do on this podcast. I notice production things. You notice story things. Did you notice anything story-wise in, in this episode that you want to point out? Victoria is a tricky little miss. Yes. Wow. She, I mean, she had me fooled for, like, I, I kind of figured it out a little bit before she opened her eyes. But, uh, but yeah, I was just like, at first, it was funny because the way that it sort of came about in my head and I was able to figure out that it was a trick was that I found myself going, that's a really weird performance choice for her to scream because she's been poisoned. Like, that doesn't seem right. Gosh darn it, Gerald Blake or whoever directed this. Well done, yeah. That was, uh, that was, that was a poor, poor choice. And then, like, I realized, wait a minute, that's that was actually Victoria in the story acting and, you know, maybe overacting a little bit because she really wants to make sure that she sells it. And, uh, and yeah, so it was, it was actually, uh, at first I was... I was rolling my eyes and then I was doing whatever the opposite of rolling your eyes is. I was keeping my eyes very, very still because <laughs> Victoria was, was so amazing. That was, uh, that was just, that was slick as can be. It's this, the story is very much not, not what I expected her to, to be like. And it's relatively early in a run too, mm-hmm. of being a, the companion, you know, she's sort of like eased her way into it with Tomb of the Cybermen where, you know, all the women were ordered to stay up above because, you know, that's what where women are supposed to be. And now she's like full on in the action, tricking monks to get uh, out of uh, cells and then like stumbling upon Padma Sambhava's mm-hmm. private secret hideout where we finally see him yeah. at long last at the cliffhanger of episode four. He's weird looking. That, that is this, I assume it's supposed to be old age makeup, whatever it is. It's very disconcerting. <laughs> Perhaps it's perhaps that's the creepiness of it that it is because yeah he's supposed to be like I think he mentions in this episode two hundred and fifty years or something he's been like working towards something yeah it's it's interesting yeah it's the the Victoria thing kind of makes me even more interested to watch her her other stories going forward because you know it. I was going to say in this era of Doctor Who, but no, basically in the entirety of the classic era of Doctor Who, as you sort of jump around, and even New Who, jump around writers, sometimes you get a little bit of inconsistency in the way that the companions are written, especially in like earlier stories in, of companions, because maybe they hadn't quite gotten them nailed down yet. So I'm wondering if this is just a really standout story for her as a character, or does she stay so um, clever all the way through and I like like I said I only saw those couple of episodes of the web of fear so I wasn't and I wasn't paying super close attention so I don't remember exactly I remember that she she seems scared but I don't remember web of fear you mean yeah anyway we'll get there we'll get there yeah Mm -hmm. I know it's weird for me too (laughs) knowing what's coming because you know enemy of the world also aired on twitch relatively recently too so i almost felt like should we watch these i feel like i'm being a little bit spoiled in a way because there's this and you've you've seen these multiple times before i've seen some of them at least once sometimes multiple times before i think it's fine for us to watch them I, i just watched the invasion for verity and I'm perfectly fine with that, uh, getting to see that again, probably not super soon at our rate, but you know. Yeah, I'm, but I am actively trying to keep you away from the John Pertwee stories because those are ones you have never seen. Is that right? 
Um, or mostly. Or seen them in like, since like 94 or something. Like that. No, no, no. I didn't see them in 94. I think the only Pertwee story that I that I watched in the, the, the great rewatch of 1994 was The Three Doctors, I think. Right. Okay. Well, then, dear listener, know that I am doing my level best to try to prevent you from watching any Doctor Who when you get home from work. Mm-hmm. Uh, in case there's any uh, holdovers, I don't think it'll be too. I don't think they'll go as long as some of the Troughton days were, mm-hmm. based on what I can see from the scheduling. So you'll mm-hmm. you'll be you'll be spared. Yeah. But what we're talking about, Bobble Snowman, though. Yes. Um. Any anything else about this uh, episode, Doctor and Jamie? Um. Uh, I, I like their little interplay. You know what? What's your great plan, Doctor? Bung a rock at it. <laughs> yep. You know? uh, it, Jamie was very much the um, the the doubting Thomas of companions throughout this. They're, all of their scenes together. It's you know the Doctor stands up and Jamie's like, Doctor, get down! And the Doctor walks towards the edit. Doctor, don't do that. The Doctor tries to you know uses screwdriver on it. Doctor, you're taking a very big risk. Right. It was just, I mean, it was. It was the kind of thing that I wonder if that was one of the girls, like one of the women companions doing that, would that be seen as nagging and whining? But mm-hmm. because it's Jamie, like nobody ever talks about Jamie as being a whiner of a companion. No, but it, what it also does is, you know, in perhaps the Hartnell era, um, it's more like the companions getting into trouble and the doctor's the one saying, no, stay out of trouble. Don't do that. This, whereas Troughton's doctor has become so subversive. And I imagine that this made him popular with children because, you know, children like to sort of misbehave as well. And when they see that the person in authority, that being the doctor is doing it, there's a slight like connection, like, ah, we're both rebels, that kind of thing. <laughs> so when you have Jamie, the young impressionable companion being the one who's trying to sort of like be the, uh, the safe, steady pair of hands and the doctor's like doing all the risky things, it's ki- it kind of makes for a more interesting mm-hmm. central character. Yep. The voice of the voice of reason has, has shifted. Yeah. There's an interesting um, fan theory that uh, each doctor... You know, when the Doctor regenerates, each new version of the Doctor is a reaction to the previous one mm. in, in some way. And I hadn't really thought about that from the first to the second Doctor terribly, terribly closely, mostly because I hadn't seen their stories um, altogether in a long time or at all. Uh, but yeah, now that you say that, in the first Doctor's era, you definitely had the companions often being the ones that, you know, every once in a while William Hartnell's Doctor would also be like... You know, his curiosity would get the better of him, yeah. like even you know, in the very second story in the Daleks. But for the most part, yeah, uh, it it wasn't nearly as pronounced as we get with the second Doctor. So maybe his uh, his sort of regeneration reaction was to be like, you know what, I don't want to be the grumpy old fuddy duddy. I I want to be the you know the little whippersnapper that runs around and just tries stuff mm-hmm. because that's totally what Trouton is. He totally is. He's an imp, mm-hmm. an impish fellow. Yep. Totally. Mm. Uh, Anything else about this year, episode four of uh, The Abominable Snowman? I'm shaking my head. Nope. No? Okay. Well, uh, that's it for this episode then. I don't know what else to say. Goodbye. Okay. Goodbye. (laughs)